Amen. Well, it's so good to see you all today at church, at Scent Church. Thank you for coming. If you're new, just want to say welcome to you. If you're coming back to church, maybe you haven't been going to church for a while and you're coming back or you're just kind of checking us out or whatever's brought you here today, we just want to say welcome. And if you're a student, we also want to give you a special welcome. I love Chi Alpha. I got the Chi Alpha shirt on. You know, I will, let's go. Come on. Um, I was the Chi Alpha director for five years before stepping into this, so Chi Alpha is right at the center of my heart. You know, this church was planted with about 50 students and then my mom and dad, and there was a few other people, but, uh, but yeah, so it's amazing what God has done through a campus ministry, and I'm excited for the school year to start tomorrow, and also for parents with young children, or, or maybe you got high school kids starting school tomorrow. It's a big week, okay, so I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Uh, this morning and also this week. So we've all experienced the extraordinary feeling of being surprised. Maybe you've been surprised by a birthday party or an unexpected gift from a loved one or news of some kind that you weren't expecting. I think some of us like the feeling of being surprised and others of us hate it. We're like, don't ever surprise me. I got to control every little piece of my life and if something comes unexpected, I don't like it, okay? And Tanya Luna, she is a surprise expert. I don't know if you knew that there were surprise experts out there, but they're out there, and she's given TED Talks on surprise, and she defines it this way. She says, surprise is any time that you are wrong, and your brain tells you about it, okay? So your brain, like, like thought something, and then something unexpected happens, or the dictionary defines surprise as an unexpected or astonishing event. And for me, the biggest surprise of my life happened on July 23rd of 2011, so about 10 years ago. And to adequately tell that story, I have to back up first. Before that day, I had been a Christian, but I hadn't really let Jesus lead my life. I claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but Jesus wasn't actually my king. I think some of us have been there, or maybe we're there right now. I had been a part of the Christian culture. I grew up with parents who loved Jesus. I was at church every Sunday. I was super active in church, but I struggled to actually give my whole heart to Jesus. I didn't really understand the message of Christianity. The gospel is what we call that. I didn't really understand it, but I thought that Christianity was more about me living up to certain standards or rules. I had this mental list in my brain of big sins that I shouldn't commit. And I thought, if I don't commit these sins, then I'm good, and God will love me and bless me. If I do commit these sins, then, oh boy, I better watch out. And one of the things that caused me to really struggle during my middle school and high school years, I'm about to say something awkward. Are you ready for it? I try to be vulnerable, so bear with me. Sometimes I say weird stuff or things maybe you don't want me to say, but I was entangled in a pornography addiction, to be very honest, all throughout middle school and high school. And this made it impossible for me to gain traction in my relationship with Jesus. I would come to services like this, like the band's playing, and it's like, Lord, send revival. I mean, back then, it was like, every move I make, I make, you know, whatever it was. But uh, I'd come, and I'd be like, yeah, Jesus. I'd be fired up. And i make commitments like, I'm never going back to that old life. I'm never going back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Four days later, I already turned back. <laughs> that was my life all throughout middle school and high school. Every time I make a commitment to not go back to the sinful patterns, I surely would. And I thought it was my responsibility to climb myself out of these sins and figure this stuff out, and I just could not do it. And this led to a cycle of shame and guilt and hiding from God. 
I felt like in order for God to want to be around me, then I needed to clean my life up, and I just could not do it. And when I got to my junior year of high school, things got worse, as I was not only entangled in personal sexual sin at this point, but I was doing things with girls that I shouldn't have. I was drinking and partying a lot. And there was such a tension in my heart as I knew that I was a hypocrite. I knew that I was living a double life. Everyone in my school knew I was a Christian, but they'd also see me at the parties. There was this Christian Daniel, and then also the Daniel who ran his own life and did whatever he wanted to do. I'd play on the worship team at church. I'd play drums, not as good as Caleb Jones, but I tried my best. I'd play drums at church, but, and I thought it was important to convince my friends that God was real. Like, I would debate an atheist any day of the week. Bring it on, somebody. But I didn't actually live like Jesus. This all came to a breaking point after my senior year of high school. In July of that year, I was at a party, and I just took things too far. I'd finally broken every single standard that I had for myself. And for the first time, I truly felt like God could not love me anymore. My heart just began to get hard, and I felt cut off from God. And I went home the next morning and lied in my bedroom hopeless, just laid on the bed and just slide there hopeless, and something began to break in me, and I started to weep before God. And I asked him a bold question. I said, God, could you ever love me? I asked if he could ever forgive me after the things I had done. And at that moment, my mom came into the room, and she kind of understood what was going on without me having to tell her, and she just began to pray for me. And it's kind of crazy. I, I don't typically share this piece of the story, but I think it's kind of fun. So my brother, Derek, who's the worship pastor, the Kyle director, He's about four years younger than me, so he would have been 14 at the time, and he was standing outside the bedroom door listening to what mom was praying about. Like, is he finally going to repent, somebody? Come on. He's been being an idiot for a couple of years. Okay, good, good, repent. And uh, so he's standing outside, probably praying for me, right? But, uh, but uh, my mom said something like this. She said, Jesus, show Daniel that there's nothing that he could ever do to separate himself from your love. And I can't explain it. It wasn't about anything she did. It wasn't about Derek praying hard outside the door. But, but God showed up. I experienced something that I still can't explain today. God surprised me. I encountered his love in a way that I had never before. I'd been in tons of church services, but I had never encountered that kind of love. At the lowest point of my life, I came face to face with the no strings attached, off the charts love of God. I experience grace that forgives me at my worst and enables me to find freedom from my worst. I realized that I was actually more sinful than I had previously thought. So you would think like, you know, God comes and says, hey, you're actually great. It's okay, buddy. That's not that bad. No, God said, no, you're actually more sinful than you think you are. You thought that if you just didn't do this one thing, then you'd be good. But all that other stuff is trash as well. You are sinful. You're far more sinful than you could ever imagine. I I realized that in that moment. But at the same time, Jesus spoke to me and said, you are more loved than you could ever dream. And that messed with me. I'm still not the same. It's a decade later. I'm going to keep preaching about this. I tell this story all the time. I'm not the same because the love of God changed me in that moment. It wasn't some cheap type of grace that says, hey, get forgiven and keep doing what you did before. It was a grace that forgave me at my worst, but lit my heart on fire and said, you need to be different from here on forward. And I've not been perfect since then, but I've done my best to follow Jesus. And when all this went down, I had already planned on going to you and I. And shortly after, I got a call from this guy who was trying to start a Kyalpha at you and I. And he had got my number from my youth pastor. And he said, hey, he called me and said, hey, I'm starting a Kyalpha campus ministry. And I'm thinking, what is Kyalpha? What is this? But he says, I'm starting this campus ministry on campus. 
and I'm recruiting students to be a part of it. I heard that you play drums. Would you be willing to play drums on our worship team? And I'm like thinking, wow, just a couple days ago, I was partying. Now I'm going to be this drummer on this worship team at this sick campus ministry. I'm going to meet all these girls. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm in. I am in. So that first weekend at UNI, the weekend that you just experienced or you're in right now if you're a student, it was a crazy weekend. On, on Friday night, I was just like, like really troubled because I was trying to get out of the party life. I, I left the party life, but I wanted to stay out of it. And my whole floor is going crazy. I'm like, I can't do this. I, I cannot follow Jesus in this environment. You know, before I came to campus, I had bought an Xbox and a lot of video games. and said, I'm just going to hide in my dorm and play video games, hide out from the world. But then on Saturday, there was a Kyle gathering, and I met some of the other people, and, and my heart began to get a little bit more confident. Like, okay, I got some people I can roll with. And that first Kyle service on Thursday night, there were about 15 students there total, and one of them was my wife, Emily. So I want to show a couple pictures here. So one is of me playing the drums. So <laughs> great haircut. If you notice, on the left ear here, there's a black earring. It looks like a little like freckle or something, but it was 2011. Times were different. No, it wasn't cool back then either, but I thought it was. And then here's another picture of me and Emily. So me and Emily, we met during the greeting time of that Chi Alpha service. So when you're like awkwardly saying, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. And you try to run away. Like the awkward time, that's when I met Emily. And we ended up getting married in 2013. But a lot has happened since then. I don't have time to share all the details of what's happened. But essentially, briefly, uh, Emily and I got married. And we pursued ministry training. We came back here in 2015, and I kind of kind of restarted Chi Alpha as it had pretty much died at that point. And we led Chi Alpha for five years, and then we planted Senate Church last fall in the middle of COVID. So I told Jesus, he asked me if I would plant this church in the fall of 2020. He asked me to commit to that in fall of 2019. And I think he asked me to commit to it in fall of 2019 because he knew I'd say no if it was in spring of 2020 when everything was going crazy. But somehow, some way, Jesus has helped us begin to build this church. And throughout this entire journey, of following Jesus, he has surprised me again and again with his outrageous love and his unending faithfulness. He blows my mind year after year as he continues to show me that he's more loving than I expected and more faithful than I expected. I don't know what brings you here this morning, but I believe that Jesus wants to surprise you today. He wants to bring you something unexpected in the best way. Perhaps he'll surprise you with this love like he did with me, or he'll surprise you by revealing his heart to you, or, or he'll surprise you by asking you to step into a new season, or maybe he's going to ask you to do something that you haven't done before. And the sermon title today is Surprised by Jesus. As we continue our Gospel of Mark series this morning, Jesus is going to surprise us. In the midst of tremendous momentum in his ministry, he makes some very unconventional decisions. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. I mean, I'm excited to report to you that after eight weeks, we're finally finishing, finishing the first chapter. We still got 15 chapters to go, so it's going to be a bit, but I'm excited to at least have one milestone here. So last week, we got to read about Jesus' first day of ministry, and that started in verse 21. And we saw that he taught with authority in the synagogue, and we saw him cast out demons, and he healed people. And in general, the summary statement that we had from the sermon was Jesus came to push back darkness in the world, and we should too. And this was before I knew about all the stuff going on in the world that's happened this week with Haiti and Afghanistan, all this kind of stuff going on. And I just think it's so relevant for our season with everything going on in the world, all the darkness. We need to be people who push back darkness. So if you missed that sermon, it, it was called Jesus Goes to War. I encourage you to go back and listen on YouTube 
or podcast, whatever app you have, it's on there. So I encourage you to do that. But this week, we're going to come to verse 35, which is the morning after this crazy first day of ministry. Because verses 21 through 34 is just his first day of ministry. He does all that stuff in one day. And we see that Jesus wakes up before everybody else. He finds a desolate place to pray and a place to prepare for his next phase of ministry. So it says this in verse 35. It says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Great, let's go on to the next town so that I may get out of here and preach there also, for this is why I came out. I added a few words, but that's okay. So verse 39, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly into a town, but he was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. All right, let's pray over this quick. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for every heart in this room and watching online. And God, I pray uh, that you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray that this word would come off the pages and into our heart. And God, I pray that every heart would be spoken to in the way that they need to be spoken to. All right, God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this passage is so surprising in so many different ways. I want to walk through it verse by verse and point out some of the ways in which Jesus will surprise us. And I think that God's really going to speak to us. So in verse 35, we see that he gets up early in the morning, and it's still dark, and he departs out to a desolate place, and he prays there. Okay, so after a tremendous first day of ministry that ended with the entire city, this is in verse 33 and 34, it tells us that the entire city was coming to his door to be healed and set free, Jesus starts the next day by getting up insanely early when it's still dark to be alone with his father. And with how late he appeared to be up, it looks like he only slept for maybe two hours, if even. And this word for desolate place is the same word that, that Mark uses earlier in the chapter for wilderness. Okay, so he uses it to explain where John the Baptist was preaching his message. He, he's saying, repent, because the king is coming. He, he preached that in the wilderness. And he uses it to talk about the place that Jesus went when he was tempted by the devil. Okay, so the wilderness or the desolate place, it has a symbolic nature to it. It's a place of contact with the supernatural. It's a place to receive power from God and do battle with Satan. And when Mark says that Jesus went into the desolate place or into the wilderness, he's showing us that Jesus prioritized the spiritual things. He, he prioritized being with God. He, he prioritized getting in tune with God and receiving the power that he needed from him. In the midst of everything that was going on in his world, Jesus was busy. Because if you ever say you're busy, look at Jesus' life. He was busy. In the midst of all that, he knew that it was important to cultivate his intimacy with his Father in heaven. So the first way in which Jesus surprises us, and I'm putting this on the screen, if you're a note taker, I'm pumped about it. If you're not a note taker, I'm praying that you might become a note taker. So check it out. First point, Jesus did not prioritize personal pleasure or productivity, but relationship with his heavenly Father. 
After his first successful day of ministry, Jesus easily could have taken the day off or take time just to have some me time and do my own thing, right? Like we like me time. I like me time. Like I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to spend time with my friends. I'm going to maybe catch up on work that I didn't get to during the week, which if that's you, don't do that. Okay, rest, relax. I do that sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes on Saturday night, I'm like, got to get the sermon done. But then I'd show up and, and you all be like, what is he talking about? But point is, you know, we have other things we spend our time doing. And we often try to find rest, enjoyment, and fulfillment in things other than time with God. We try to find those things with mainly with entertainment or hobbies. And these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they can't take the place of being alone with God. Jesus knew that there was nothing in this world that could help him or help him recharge and rest like being alone with his Father. Although Jesus certainly wanted to minister to people and he did take time to enjoy himself. Jesus had some fun, okay? But his top priority was staying connected with his Father in heaven and receiving direction from him. He's modeling a way of life that all followers of Jesus should follow. Each day we must take time to be silent and to be with our Father in heaven. Even if it means you got to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning like Jesus did. If you don't got time during the day, you got to find time with it. Is what Jesus is modeling. Now, I hope you don't have to get up at four. That's really early. But the point is, it has to be a priority to you that, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get out in the desolate place with Jesus. After I rededicated my life to Jesus in the summer of 2011, I realized that some things really needed to change in my daily routine. If I was truly to be a follower of Jesus, I had to make some shifts. And before this encounter, I literally, like, this is all I spent my time doing was either one, pursuing my own goals, whether that be like academics or activities or whatever, like, hey, hey, what can I do to prop myself up and achieve something? Or the rest of my time was with entertainment and hobbies. Like, I had to play Madden every night. If you know what Madden is, I had to get a game in. If I didn't get a game in, I was grumpy. I was like, I need a game in tonight or else the day's not complete. Time with Jesus? Maybe not. But Madden? Absolutely. I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but I gave all my attention to the world. No wonder why my life did not look like Jesus at all. And this is partly why I worry about everything. I was entangled in addiction. I never shared my faith. I had no traction in my relationship with God because I never spent any time with him. I quickly realized that Sunday morning church could not be my only connection point with with Jesus throughout the week. Although it should be one, it couldn't be my only one. And when I got to college, I learned that I needed to be with Jesus every day. And I began to set aside time to be with him every morning through Bible reading and prayer primarily, but also other things. And it was a simple routine, but it began to change me. So I would get up early, and I I was in Norn Hall, 207. If you're in 207, come talk to me after service. We can, you know, celebrate, whatever. But the point is, I was in 207, and I would get on my knees every morning. I'd say, Jesus, help me live like you. Help me get over this addiction. Help me begin to walk in greater boldness. Help me to understand your truth. And as I did that every day, Jesus began to transform my life. And I haven't stopped doing that rhythm. Every day, it starts with Bible reading. This is my, my Bible reading plan. Every day, I'm going through it. And this is for the whole year. So if you want this like, regular old piece of paper, you can't have it. It's mine. But point is, so, <laughs> but uh, I'm kidding. I can send you the plan, though. Really, we have this plan on our website. So if you want to get into a Bible plan, That'd be great. All right. I get a little feistier in the second service. I don't know why. No jokes in the first service. But okay. So for 30 years, Jesus lived in relative obscurity. And he cultivated his intimacy with God. But now that he was starting to pursue 
his God-given mission, and now that his popularity was beginning to grow, it was all the more important that he prioritize time with his father. That's why he was willing to get up so early with no sleep, because he's like, I got to be with God. In the same way, no matter how busy we are or what season we're in, we must do whatever it takes to be alone with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit every single day. We must take time to be with Jesus. All right, so it didn't take long for the disciples to realize that Jesus had gotten away from them. And they tried to pull him back into the hustle and bustle of all that was going on in Capernaum. And Simon Peter leads the way, or much of the time, to his detriment in trying to find Jesus. And Jesus surprises us again. So in verse 36, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you, bro. Like, this thing is working. People are coming. Woo, let's go back. Party on. He didn't say all that, but he, and Jesus said to him, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Okay, so Simon, he informs Jesus. He says, I don't know if you know this. I know you're like the Messiah, the Son of God, but everyone's looking for you. And this phrase, looking for, is only used in a negative way when it's used in the gospel mark. It's used about 10 times, and it's used to, to talk about Jesus' ministry being obstructed, to disbelief in Jesus or attempts to kill Jesus. So when we read this, we're not supposed to read the fact that people are looking for Jesus as a positive thing. It's actually a very negative thing to Jesus. It appears that these people weren't seeking Jesus because they actually wanted Jesus. It appears that they weren't seeking Jesus because they actually wanted to follow him and be his disciple. They only wanted Jesus for the miracle. They only wanted Jesus for what he could do in their lives. And this kind of popularity does not excite King Jesus. He's not excited about that. He wants your heart. He doesn't want to just give you stuff. And this makes him want to move on to the next town. And this shows us that Jesus' main mission was not to perform miracles. It was not to gather a huge crowd, although both of those things happened. But it was to preach and teach about the gospel and raise up a group of people who were truly committed to him no matter what. No matter if he never gave them a blessing, they were with him because he was king, not because he was a miracle worker. He was looking for people like that. He had a very specific mission. He came to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that the kingdom of God could come to earth. He knew the kingdom of God would not come through a crowd that just wants miracles, but had to come through disciples who were willing to give up their lives for the gospel. Come on, somebody, that'll preach. And this leads me to the second way in which Jesus surprises us this morning. Jesus did not pursue fame. He didn't pursue his own dreams. He didn't pursue his own ideas of what the good life might be, but he pursued his God-given mission. Although Jesus, he certainly cares about your needs. Hear me on that. He loves to alleviate suffering. Although he cares about that, he he wants to stay focused, and here, he, want, or he wanted to stay focused on his primary mission, which is to proclaim the gospel of God so that people can repent or turn from their old ways and join God's kingdom. In verses 14 and 15 of Mark 1, we saw Jesus' mission. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus knew that as the crowds got larger with people who just wanted something from him, it would make his preaching ministry impossible. As his ministry grew in its width, it would make it harder for it to grow in depth. He had to go on to the next town to find people who were actually wanting to repent and follow him. 
In verses 40 through 42, we see that Jesus heals a leper. Okay, so he loves to heal people. I'm not saying he doesn't. He heals a leper. And we're going to come back to those verses in a minute. We're going to land there at the end of the sermon. But I want to skip down to verses 43 through 45, where he gives the leper instructions on what to do next. It says this in verse 43 through 45. It says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. Come on, dude. He just told you not to do that. So many times we'll like receive something from Jesus. I just want to take a, a quick pause from that for a second. We'll like get healed or, or Jesus will save us and he'll give us specific instructions on what to do next. And we're like, nah, I just want the healing. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and that can have some grave consequences. And we're going to see that in a second. But, but it says this in verse 45 again. So, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Okay, so these verses, they go along the same theme of verses 36 through 39. While, or while we would think that Jesus would want the leper to go and tell everybody about his healing, Jesus wanted him to be quiet and not tell anyone so the crowds wouldn't grow too large and hinder his mission. And this phrase, sternly charged him, is an incredibly strong statement. In the Greek, it means to snort. So Jesus is like, don't do it. I don't know if that's right. I don't know how to snort. Okay, so Jesus... He wasn't actually snoring, but that's just, it's, it's getting the intensity of it. Okay, so Jesus was adamant about this. In verse 45, we see why he wanted him to be quiet. His disobedience made it so Jesus could no longer openly enter towns to preach, but he had to stay outside in desolate places and have people come to him. So this is what happens when we receive Jesus and he gives us instructions and we don't obey it, it hinders his mission. It thwarts his mission. It thwarts what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to just do something in you. He wants to do something through you. He doesn't want to just save you from your sins. He wants to set you on fire with his love and send you out to the world to go make disciples and make disciples. And we just, when we just want to receive stuff, but we don't obey Jesus, then we're cutting off the mission of God and its advancement. If Jesus' mission had been to gather the largest crowd possible, then this man surely would have helped him. But his mission was to lead people into repentance and true belief, and he knew that this could only happen well in the context of having time to actually preach to people and teach them and walk with them. And he knew that large crowds of people who only wanted him for his miracles were going to make that hard to do. If his fame had spread too quickly, he wouldn't be able to move freely in opposition from the religious authorities would mount rapidly, and these two things taken together would make it impossible for him to actually teach about God's kingdom. It's also important to note that Jesus had the leper go through the temple system of cleansing. And we know if you follow Jesus today, you don't have to go to the temple to, or to do the cleansing and all that. But Jesus did this in order to honor the, or to honor the law and to, not dis, or, and to not dishonor the authority of the temple. Jesus wanted this leper to be welcomed back into society, and he didn't want to stir up trouble before it was necessary. Jesus was so pure in his motives and so focused on pursuing his call. He could have surely capitalized on his miracles. He could have gained a large following faster. He could have tried to mount a rebellion against the authorities of his day and set up an earthly kingdom. But instead, he knew that this was not God's mission for him. He was sent to bring a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one, and he had to follow God's directions to be able to do that. In the same way, we got to be a people who are all about fulfilling our God-given mission. We have to lay down our dreams and our desires for the dreams and desires of God. 
And we must make sure that the things that stir our passions and capture our focus are the things that stir the passions of God. We must make sure that we spend our lives doing things that actually matter. If the last two years have not taught us anything, I think it should teach us that, that let's spend our short lives doing things that actually matter. And I can't think of something that matters more than bringing God's kingdom to earth so that death, sin, hell, and the grave can be dealt with forever. I can't think of something better than that. I can't think of something better than rescuing people from the grips of hell. I can't think of something better than spending time with the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who's over the hundreds of billions of galaxies. I can't think of something more important than that. And Jesus wants us to be people who stay focused on the things that matter. In the same way, as a church, we have to stay laser-focused on what God has called us to do as a group. He's called us, what's our mission statement? It's this, he's called us to help our friends become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission, fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we're not trying to just build a big church. We're not trying to be the most popular church or make church the most comfortable as possible for people. Instead, we are missionaries that are sent out by God to love the ones, serve our cities, and change the world. Our priority is to love Jesus, love people, and make disciples. That's our priority, and we got to stay focused on it. Jesus, he's going to surprise us in one more way in this passage, and I think this is the best surprise. So let's check it out. In verse 40 through 42, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Okay, so this is a startling scene for a Jewish person to read. Leprosy was repulsive in this culture, and it carried a ton of consequences. They feared that that leprosy would spread amongst the people and contaminate the entire community, both physically and spiritually. It wasn't simply an illness, but it was something that made people unclean in Jewish law. Other illnesses had to be healed, but this one had to be cleansed. In Leviticus chapter 13, it's, it's the book about God's laws. It says this about leprosy. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. That might be the worst part of the punishment. He shall live alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. When someone had leprosy, they had to make their appearance repulsive. They had to stay on the outskirts of society. Or if they were lucky, they got to live in leper colonies. James Edwards says this. He's a Bible scholar. He says, the disease robbed them of their health. And the sentence imposed on them as a consequence robbed them of their name, occupation, habits, family, and fellowship, and their worshiping community. It took everything from them. And the leper boldly approaches Jesus, knowing that Jesus can heal, and he asks him if he'd be willing. And we'd expect a religious leader like Jesus from this time to be repulsed by this unclean man, to be repulsed by the fact that he would so arrogantly run into his presence. But Jesus does not respond with fear or repulsion, but he responds with love. And that gives me my third point here, final point. Jesus did not fear the other, but engaged with a fiery love. Jesus did not fear the other, but he engaged with a fiery love. When faced with this unclean man who could potentially contaminate him, both physically and spiritually, Jesus responds not by running away, but by engaging In verse 41, the ESV says that Jesus was moved with pity. That's the version we're reading today. He was moved with pity. Other translations will say compassion, but the most correct uh, translations will say that he was moved with anger or 
indignation. And, and why do I say that? I say that because uh, the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark actually disagree about what the original word was here. There's a word for compassion. There's a word for anger. And we don't know which one was the original word. But what scholars think, what, or what most scholars think, is that anger was the original word. And there's a few reasons for that I can't get into. But the one reason I think is the big reason is what's more palatable, what's more understandable for us? Probably compassion, right? And, and what scholars think is, is scribes took out anger and replaced it with compassion because they're like, anger doesn't make any sense. Why would he be angry here? Well, why is Jesus angry about uh, this situation? Well, the best explanation is he was angry at the misery of this leper. He was angry about what sin and sickness had done to a person he loved so deeply. In his holy anger, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him and makes him clean. James Edwards says again, he says, Unlike an ordinary rabbi, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Rather, the leper is cleansed and healed by Jesus' contagious holiness. While Jesus healing this man made it eh, possible for him to reenter the society, it actually pushed Jesus to the outskirts of society. In verse 45, it says that the crowds were so large that it made it where Jesus had to stay out in the desolate places. It's beautiful what's happening here. Jesus, he knew that would happen if he healed this man because he knew the man wasn't going to obey. And, and Jesus, healing of this man caused them to trade places. Jesus gets pushed to the outer fringes of society and the leper gets to come back into society. Jesus forsakes his own comfort because he loves the leper. He doesn't run from the leper in fear of being unclean or having his ministry impeded, but he's filled with anger at the leper's condition and engages the leper with a fiery love. This foreshadows what Jesus will do on the cross. While he could have run from the cross or, or for his own comfort, he takes it on so that we can be healed. He bears sin and punishment so we can be forgiven. Love causes Jesus not to fear consequences, but to engage with a fiery passion. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this brings me back to my story. When I was at my worst, my filthiest, Jesus met me most powerfully. When I felt the weight of my sin, Jesus told me that he would take it on himself, or that he did take it on himself, so that I could become righteous Jesus did not shun me. He did not run from me. He didn't punish me. Instead, he told me that there's nothing that I could do to separate myself from his love. He pointed me back to Calvary where he took all my sin, all my shame on himself on the cross so that I could be clean. Are you carrying sin or shame this morning? Is there something you've brought in here, something that's nagging at you? Maybe during worship you couldn't worship because you keep thinking about how you've sinned against God. Is there something that you feel like Jesus could not forgive you for? This morning, do you need to see the anger of Jesus not at you, hear me, not at you, but at what sin in this world has done to you? Do you need to see the fire in his eyes and the passion in his heart for you this morning? If so, all you got to do is do what the leper did. And come to Jesus and say, if you will, make me clean. All you got to do is run to Jesus. Or maybe you don't have a big sin or a big shame thing that you're carrying, but today you need to be, re be reminded that Jesus has not called us to fear those who are different from us. He's not called us to run from those we disagree, or disagree with, but he calls us to engage with love. 
And we live in a culture right now that tells us to cancel those we disagree with. It calls us to write people off on the other side of an argument or that are a part of a different tribe. This is against the heart of the Messiah. This is against Jesus' heart. We must be like him who, when faced with someone who is seemingly ugly, he saw the image of God in them and what sin had done to them, and he was angry about it. He wasn't angry at them, but he was angry at the sin that had defiled them. And his ferocious love boiled up into a flurry of compassion mixed with anger. His spirit was provoked at what death, sin, hell, and the grave had done to the man that he loved that was standing right in front of him. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is why sinners flocked to Jesus. They knew that they would find someone who loved them in the midst of their mess, but also called them out of the mess and helped them to find freedom from it. With all that in mind, the main idea today is this, if you're taking notes. It's Jesus surprises the world with his priorities and the way that he spent his time. He surprises us with his commitment to God's mission and not his own. And he surprises us with his love for those who are different from him or those who, who should be feared. He surprises us with his priorities, his mission, and his love. Which of these three surprises do you need to grapple with this or grapple with this morning? Maybe the way that Jesus prioritized his time alone with God startled you a bit today. And maybe you live in a world where all your free time is spent engaging in what you want to do, in entertainment or hobbies or productivity, and you don't know what it's like to sit still before God. And when you read that, it startles you. When you get challenged to do that, it startles you because you're like, I don't know what that's going to be like sitting by myself with God. I don't know what he's going to say to me. Maybe you're surprised by that. Today, here's the thing. Jesus is not here to condemn you. That's not his prerogative. It's not to come in and shame you and condemn you. No, Jesus is always going to call you up higher. He's going to say, I'm not going to condemn you in your shame. I am going to call you to come up higher. He's calling you to prioritize your time with him. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not an option. You've got to be with God. You've got to have a relationship with him. You've got to have intimacy with him. Or maybe the way that Jesus... Jesus refused fame and he pursued his God-given mission, surprises you and challenges you. Like we live in a culture right now where everybody wants to become an influencer, right? On Instagram or TikTok, like you'll put ridiculous videos on TikTok every day hoping that you get famous. It's like, come on, dude, seriously. Snapchat, I don't know if there's influencers on there. I'm not on Snapchat, but I'm sure there is. Point is, I'm being kind of funny, but the point is, if we live in this culture where we have like this pantheon of gods that we follow on Instagram, like that girl, she knows how to have a fit body. But that dude, like, he knows how to fix up his house. Holy cow, look at that. That guy is the best dad, the best mom in the world, whatever. We follow these people, and we're like, it's all about them pursuing fame. How many followers can I get? How, how much can I build my platform? And, and followers of Jesus, our call is not to pursue that kind of stuff. Our call is not to pursue our own fame, our own achievements, our own success. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not to, to climb your way up and, and be successful and have everyone look at you, but instead it's to lay down your life so people can look at Jesus. That's the call of Jesus. And maybe that surprised you today because you're like, you're maybe about to start college. Like I'm pursuing my dreams and that's okay. You can go to college. You can, you know, pursue your degree, whatever. That's great. But make sure it's what God's telling you to do and make sure that God is guiding you through it. Or, or maybe you're in a career right now and you're trying to climb up the ladder and, and that's fine. It, if you want to get a promotion, all that, but make sure that's what God wants you to do and make sure you're putting him first and you're not compromising your integrity to get there. 
I don't know where you're at today, but here's what Jesus wants to say to you. He wants to say to you that it's not about your personal fame. It's not about your achievement or your success. It's about God's dream for your life. And when you pursue God's dream for your life, that's the, actually the happiest place you'll ever be. This morning, let's be a people that, that follow Jesus' way and don't pursue our own fame, but pursue the fame of Jesus. And finally, maybe you were shocked by the love that Jesus showed the leper. Maybe that surprises you, especially in our culture right now. Again, this is like flying in the face of our culture. It's, it's so shocking for Jesus to stand before someone who's supposed to be on the other side of society from him and to engage that person with love. Like maybe when you're scrolling through Facebook or whatever you're on and you see someone that, that posts something you disagree with, you're like, I'm about to fight with you. I'm about to prove you wrong. Let's go battle royale 2.0 or 20.0, whatever. You're going to fight with them. But Jesus, what does he call you to do? He, he calls you to love that person. Don't look at the sin. Don't look at the disagreement, but look at the image of God in them. Pray for them and love them. He calls you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the call of Jesus. When you're faced with someone who's different from you, to love them. Or maybe you're someone who you're feeling like Jesus would not want to be in your presence. Maybe you're like, I can't stand before Jesus. I got all this sin. I got all this shame. And today you need to see Jesus looking at you like he did the leper with love fire in his eyes and he's ready to forgive you and bring you into a new way this morning I pray that this Jesus would surprise us not just intellectually but into transformation I right, stand up all across this room we're going to close here Let's commit to be a church that surprises the world. I want the world to be shocked when they see our church, surprised by the way we spend our time. We're not just followers of Jesus in name. We put him first. He's our primary passion. Relationship with him and pleasing him is the most important thing to us. Can we be that church? We care most what King Jesus thinks about us. We care most about being with him. Can we also be a church that is so committed to God's mission for us to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And finally, can we be a church that our love for people shocks people? It's just like, it kind of throws them out of their chair. They're like, how can you love that much? Can we be that church? I'm praying that that would be us. All right, if you want to bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you two ways to respond this morning. The first way is this. Maybe you come in this morning, and if you're very honest with yourself, you have not been following Jesus, or you once did and you walked away. And this morning, it can be tempting during a sermon like this to, you know, hear this call and this challenge and kind of want to, want to or just kind of forget about it and run away. But I think that Jesus wants to do something in your life this morning. I think he wants to transform you like he did me in July of 2011. And all it takes, it doesn't take a religious ritual. It doesn't take a cleansing. All it takes is putting your trust in Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You take that to the bank. If you confess and you believe, you will be saved. So this morning, if you need to get right with Jesus, this is your opportunity, your opportunity. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to count three. And, and when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. Nobody's looking around. It's between you and God just saying, hey, Jesus, I turn from my ways. Hey, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. Okay, so if, if that's you, raise your hand on three. One, two, three. Step up all across the room. See those hands all across the room. See that hand. Are there any more hands? Anybody else? 
are tons of hands, but I'm going to put them down now. I'm just going to pray, and you just pray in your heart. Just say something simple like, Jesus, if you will, can you make me clean? And he will respond by being faithful and just to make you clean. Okay, so let's pray. Jesus, this morning we come to you. God, for those that don't know you yet, that are wanting to put their, their trust in you, I pray that you see their hearts. God, as a church, we're coming alongside them saying, we want to be your followers. And God, I pray this morning for those that are carrying sin and shame into this room. I pray that you would just wash over them with forgiveness, cleansing, with newness, God. I pray that a spirit of new creation will kind of rise up in this place, fresh starts all across this room. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so there's one more way to respond. I hope we get a little crazy on this one. I'm just believing that God is going to raise up a generation of people who make his priorities our priorities, who make his mission our mission, and who love like he does. And if that's you, can you be so bold right now? Say, I want to make his priorities my priorities. I want to pursue his mission. I want to be loving like him. If that's you, can you put your hands out in front of you or up, in, uh, up towards heaven? And we're going to worship. And when we worship this last time, let's sing with everything we got, okay? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go right into worship. So Jesus, right now, all across the room, I pray that you would see these hearts. God, I pray that you would see people who want to pursue your priorities, pursue your mission, and love like you. And Jesus, I pray that we would be that people. So Jesus, do something supernatural in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can we give God praise all across the room? Come on. Let's go. Let's go. He's about to do something.